As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Esteem wisdom, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's in the Blue Pew Bible and on page 975. Again, the text is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it's on page 975. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Wonderful. Thank you, Kelly. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the riches of your word, the privilege of, of being transported every Sunday morning to a different culture, different time, different place, even a different language, that uh, we might see afresh uh, the, the, uh, the wisdom, the beauty, the goodness, uh, the shrewdness of your ways, that we might then return to our lives, able to critique our souls, able to critique our society, able to see with fresh eyes the world around us, to see you anew, and to live in a way that is truly pleasing to you, that is life-giving to others. Father, please be present. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, my daughter Julianne is in first grade. And uh, just like it was the, just as it was, was the case with my daughters Lydia and Rosemary, who are now 16, in those early years of elementary school, it was very often that one day Julianne or, or the, one of the girls would come home and they would exclaim, they would tell us with enthusiasm about a friend they'd made at school. And they would say, guess what, mom, or guess what, dad? Um, my, this friend, you know, Sally or whoever her name is, she said that we're BFFs. You know what a BFF is, right? Best friends forever, right? That was on Monday. <laughs> Guess what happened on Tuesday or Wednesday or later that week, right? Jul Julianne or one of her older sisters would come home and they would say something like, or they would tell us about something that happened. And, and, and they would say, you know, again, there would be something like this. Their, 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 their friend would say, Guess what? You can't be my friend anymore and often they would come home so sad even in tears what happened we were bffs what what what, what happened and our family would be like we would ask them what had happened what did you do <laughs> right and several times the aunt julianne or her sisters would respond something like this you know i don't really know what i did or maybe it was maybe they would say something silly something impossible well they wanted me to give them a hundred bucks because I didn't give them $100, they wouldn't be my friend anymore. There's a fickleness, isn't there? A, a finicky dimension to the welcome of this world. You go to a new school, you meet other kids, and they welcome. We're going to be best friends. There's this welcome 
And yet we wonder, we, I mean, we long for the sense of, of that BFF. Wouldn't that be amazing? A forever friend. And yet we soon learn that these words are cheap. Right? And it's not just elementary school. In fact, I've asked my, um, a number of times when I've asked Lydia and Rosemary, my twin daughters, about various friends they've had over the last few years, 8th, ninth, you know, 10th grade. And uh, they'll, so they'll invite friends over to our home. We love to have their friends, classmates in our home. And uh, I'll ask them, I'll, I'll think about, oh, you know, what about so-and-so? How is she doing? Or, you know, you, know, you hang out with this girl. What's, what's the latest with her? And um, the response is, oh, her? Uh, well, you know, she doesn't really talk to me anymore. Right? There's a sense in which friendships come and go. There's a sense in which uh, there's this hanging out. Hey, we're close. We're going to be intimate. We're going to share our hearts. We're going to have a slumber party. We're going to be together. And then what? Something happens. I saw you look, how you looked at that boy. I saw this. I, whatever, whatever. It's amazing how, in fact, and if you look in the research about uh, relationships, especially among young women, it's amazing how, um, how forever not their friendship is. It's amazing how forever their, uh, their condemnation can be. Um, young boys and, and even high schoolers will often, they'll get in arguments and they'll fight, and the fact that they'll fight and they'll even physically fight, and they'll often make up and they actually become closer after fighting. For whatever reason, uh, young women are very much different. If there's some sort of tiff, some sort of misunderstanding, they will write each other off forever. Right? There's a sense in which the world's welcome is very fickle. It's very finicky. And again, it's not just, it's not just elementary school. It's not just high school. It's life. I mean, it is so difficult to make friendships, real Friendships. In fact, the Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 6 says, Many claim to have unfailing love. That is to say, many claim to say, you know, oh, I'll be your BFF. I'll never fail you. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful friend who can find. Interesting, right? Talk about cynical. Many claim to have unfailing, but a faithful person who can find. There's a sense in which the world's welcome is finicky. It's, it's just, it comes and goes. And the question is, is there a welcome? Is there a deeper welcome? Is there a, a welcome that we've all been looking for? And of course, you know, we could object to that and say, you know, what about today's culture of tolerance? Right? Think about today, how there's such a, a movement of just welcoming you however you are. Right? Isn't the fullest welcome, the truest welcome, you letting me do or be whatever I want? Isn't that the greatest form of welcome? Well, actually, Paul will say otherwise. In fact, how many of you have, had, uh, have done things, made decisions in life that you look back on and regret, deeply regret, and you wonder, where were my friends? Right? Where were my friends? Where were, where was, was anyone saying, hey, don't do that? Was anyone stopping me? Was anyone actual, were they all just, hey, you be you. You go do what you think you need to do. Were they just celebrating that? In fact, Paul himself talks about, let me just briefly mention it before we jump into our passage because I think it's relevant. At the beginning, look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and, and we'll do a brief overview again this morning. In Romans chapter 1, uh, this is on page um, 
967 of, of your Blue Pew Bible, if you want to follow along, in 967, 967 uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 32, Paul has been talking about how God has given humanity over to their own cravings. We talked about this last week, how part of God's present wrath, his pre- the way that he expresses his displeasure, is actually what? Giving us what we think we want, Right? And, and part of this culture of, of God just giving us over to what we want is actually him also surrounding us with people who let us do what we want. Isn't that amazing? So look at chapter, look at chapter 1, verse 32. This is Paul's assessment of, the, of human nature. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things, he's just given a whole list of, 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 of sins and of wrongs, Although they know that God's righteous decree of those who do such things deserve death, listen to this, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow. And that's a picture of tolerance. It's a culture that says, hey, listen, you, if that's what makes you happy, you go and do that. And the result is simply disastrous. Every, as I said last week, every parent knows that if you give your child whatever they want, what will happen to them? You will destroy that child. Okay, so, so don't, let's not mistake the, the fake welcome of our culture in the form of tolerance. I was just recently reading a, a beautiful article written by a, a, a young person, mid-late 20s, speaking about um, their journey through, um, through receiving surgery to become a different gender. And this person wrote with such uh, humility, uh, with such, uh, there was no self-pity, there was no uh, victimization, there was this this, this deep sense that I wish someone had warned me about what I was doing. uh, This person um, said basically, you know, when I was 10, 11, 12, at this incredibly young age, I began to doubt my own gender, my own sexuality, and, and she said, and no one questioned my doubts. No one was there to say, wait a minute, hold on, time out, let's take some time to think this through. You are 10 years old. Right? I'm 44, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Right? It takes time to discover that, and you need relationships. You need people not only to sit and agree with you, but just to disagree with you. You need others to help you dis- d- discover your identity in all manner of shapes and forms of who you are. I mean, and, and, and this person just says, I mean, and she, she has become a she again. She's you know, back to wanting, to go, wanting to revert back to her female gender or uh, feminine gender, and she just laments the sense in which um, she was surrounded by not only friends, but also uh, medical experts who were doing nothing but wanting, encouraging her to make this transition. Okay, so it's, it's not about, let's not make it about, let's not politicize this, not like even say what's right or wrong. The question is, what is the nature of true friendship? Does that make sense? What is real welcome? In fact, the Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 5, and 6, beautiful words, let's go with verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? Parents, what a great conversation to have with your kids over lunch today. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wow. Think about that for a while. 
Right? You ever heard the phrase, flattery will get you everywhere? Right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but any multiplies kisses. How many of you, if you don't have kids to go to have lunch with afterward, you can maybe take a few minutes and stop and say, do I have any real friends in my life? Friends who will wound me. I can count on them. Right? It's the old, it's, you know when you got something stuck in your teeth? You're in a restaurant or somewhere in a public place, you got something stuck in your teeth? Do you have that friend who'll be like, hey, Bruce, right, get that right there, get it right there. Or do they just sit there and smile at you and let you go along your own way, right? Do you have someone in your life, do you have these real friendships, there's a real welcome? So what we want to do here this morning is we're contrasting right, the fickle, fake welcome of this world, the fair-weathered welcome of this world, with what Paul here in Romans 12 Speak, speaks of as God's mercy. Let's turn, let's turn back to Romans to chapter 12. This is so powerful. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this deep sense of here, the word mercy, it's actually in the plural. The reason it's in the plural is because it's, actually, it's a reference to, to, to the Hebrew way of speaking about, God, about God's compassion. And in fact, the Hebrew rachamim is plural. Often it can be translated mercies, but it's not actually, it's not, not actually, some of your more literal translations will translate it mercies, plural, but it's, it's to be translated mercy. And the reason it's to be translated in the singular is that in Hebrew you have the, what's called the plural of, um, of uh, sort of emphatic plural, or the plural of intensity. Can you guess what the plural of intensity is? Right? It's when you want to just say, you, you use the plural to say it's really, really true. It's not just God's mercy, it's his mercy. <laughs> a sense of intensity to his mercy. This word rachamim is often used of a completely unexpected, surprising, undeserved compassion. It's used in beautiful places. There are several places, like in the prophets, for example, when God will say, I caused your captors... Because sometimes God's people, God, they would disobey, and God would sell them into slavery in some way. He would, he would have a foreign king or someone would come in and, and take over, or he would actually exile them into a foreign land, and they would be, they would be held captive. They would be exiles. They would, be, uh, they would have an overlord of some sort. And God would say, I caused your captors to have compassion or mercy on you. Think about it. I mean, if, you're, if, you, if someone's taking you captive, are they gonna, what are the odds that they're going to show mercy? Well, zero. But God says, I caused it to happen. I made them show this unexpected mercy. And Paul here is saying, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and that, that phrase, view of God's mercy, is a summary of the previous 11 chapters that speak of God's program, his agenda of mercy toward his people. And just to briefly review, right? Last week we talked about how Paul celebrates God's promised salvation. It is God who saves us, God who rescues us. It's a promised salvation from his just wrath. And remember, whom, whom is this salvation for? It's a salvation for any accepting soul. Any soul. Anyone can get in. Regardless of any kind of sin, regardless of any color of skin, I don't care your ancestry, your ethnicity, I don't care about what you've done. Paul says there is a salvation, <coughs> excuse me, there's a salvation available to you. God, Paul celebrates God's salvation for any soul by the sacrifice 
of his son Jesus. And it squelches any superiority, any sense that I'm better than you, places us all on the same playing field, and secures us in a place of grace. And why does it do that? What's the point of all of this? Where is it all going? Why is it that God saves us? Why is it he's willing to save any soul to, alleviate, to, to, uh, to avoid any sense of superiority? Where is it all going? It's all going so that we might serve him. It's the title of our sermon today. We are saved so that we might serve Okay, in, in chapter 12, verse 1, again, Paul summarized this promised salvation. All right, he summarized this promised salvation of any soul as his mercy. And he insists, listen to this, this is what I want you to hear. He insists that, that God's welcome of us calls for our worship of him. Let me say that again. God's welcome of us calls us, uh, or demands of us, our worship of him. Does that make sense? There's a sense in which when we are shown the, the one, and it's basically it's, it's a really simple logic in all ways. I'm going to have a few video clips to show what I mean here. But the idea is this. You want to worship, you want to serve the one who's most merciful to you. In fact, often in the, over the dinner table when Julianne, one of the girls, is lamenting how one of their BFFs is suddenly just ghosted on them, when their welcome has evaporated, we will stop and contrast it with the welcome of Jesus. Who is more welcoming than Jesus? Who is more welcoming? Who is more merciful? Who is more patient, forbearing than Jesus? And because of that, whom would we want to serve? Whose opinion should matter most? Whose wisdom should we follow? And that's exactly what Paul's argument here. If there is no one as merciful as he is, would we not want to live our, live our lives in ministry to him? If there's no one as welcoming as he is, would we not want to worship him? This is kind of silly, but I'm going to use it anyway. There's a clip. I'm sure all of you have seen the classic cult film Princess Bride. But there's this really uh, funny part where, where the three characters have just... Uh, they've just kidnapped the princess, and they're in the waters. They're making their way to um, the Cliffs of Insanity, right? Something they're called the Cliffs of Insanity, I think. And they're on their way, and they're in this boat. And the princess have been kidnapped. She decides just, I don't know, I'm not sure she's thinking very rationally, but she decides that she's going to jump into the water. So she jumps into the water, and uh, there are the two, two of the three kidnappers, and there's this bargain that Vizzini, Vizzini's the guy on the left, and he, not the bargain, but really sort of a rationale that he gives her. He says, listen, you can either get back in the boat, right, and stick with us, your kidnappers, or you can stay in the water. And there's a reason that they don't want to stay in, the, that she doesn't want to stay in the water, as we'll come to find out here. Go ahead and roll that, uh, Ron. Go in, get after her! I don't swim. I only don't paddle. sound is, Highness? Those are the shrieking eels. They always grow louder when they're about to feed on human flesh. If you swim back now, I promise no harm will come to you. 
doubt he'll get such an offer from the eel. Down. Listen to this. So this is, I love this because you, he, what is he, he makes a basic, basic rationale, right? Will you get more mercy from us or from the, the shrieking eels? I love that. Isn't that great? The shrieking eels, right? So think about it. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm half choking here. But you know, our kids live in classroom environments where there are a lot of shrieking eels. I tell you what, I say, do you think you're going to get more mercy from your classmates or from Christ. And it's true in your workplaces. It's true in your families. Right? Some of you come to me with such broken hearts, especially after the holidays, and talk about how difficult the holiday season was because of how critical. And listen, I know you love your family. I'm not, this isn't about throwing your family under the bus. But how critical, how just devastating the words of our family members can be. And you just can't please them. Right? And Paul's argument here is if you have a God who is so astonishingly welcoming, who welcomes any kind of sinner, regardless of what they have done, and has done so at the cost of his own son, would you not give your life to him? That's what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? So again, it's a silly clip, but it's just, would you rather kidnappers or shrieking eels? It's the sort of argument from a worst case scenario, right? And and it's, it's it's such a simple idea, but it's so profound because we forget the riches of his mercy toward us. Let's walk through these few verses. It won't take long. Um, Basically, Paul writes that his welcome again, means our worship. His scandalous welcome into his family. Look at that there. How does he address the Romans? Therefore, I urge you, what? Brothers and sisters. They have been brought, they've been adopted into the family of God. His welcome into his family as brothers and sisters means, right, our worship of the one God. And listen, and he describes the nature of this worship. This worship is first and foremost overt. Right? He says, offer, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your what? Your bodies. That's kind of a strange way you offer my body. What, is, what does that mean? For Paul, the body was the public part of who we are. Does that make sense? It's, you can't know what's going on here, but you, can, you, you know this part of him. You can see, you can see, oh, with well, a look on his face or you know, the way he carried himself said it all. Right? There's a sense in which the physical aspect of who we are is the public aspect of who we are. And Paul says, in fact, he insists on it, that our worship of him, that because of his welcome, our worship be one that is overt, that is public. I so appreciated Ron Barge during the confession of sin, saying, God, you know, confessing this struggle, right, to, to publicly own the name of Christ in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, being unashamed of the name of Jesus. One of my daughters was recently in, uh, was, it was in, in a classroom, and a friend of hers who um, um, just was very, uh, I won't go into the, into the details, but she just basically blurted out at one point, I think they were talking about Protestantism or something in history class, I can't remember. But she just basically, this was, the young lady said, um, I hate Christians. 
I just hate Christians. And, uh, you know, if, you know, if I had been my daughter's age, well, I know for a fact that when I was my daughter's age, I would have not said a word after that. But my daughter said, well, I'm a Christian. And there was this dead silence, <laughs> right? Like, oh. And it was amazing to this, this young lady's credit, a few minutes later, she said something along the lines of, hey, I, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And then Rosemary, wonderfully, she said, listen, I get it, I understand. There are, there are people who call themselves Christians out there who are mean. This young lady, had, you know, she had decided to identify as a, as a guy. She changed her name, now she's going to, as a, she's considers herself a, a person, a, a boy or whatever. And you can imagine in, in Midwest, you know, in, in the Midwest here, conservative, mostly Catholic, how does she, do you think, how, how well does that go over with her family? How accepted is she? Right? And so, and so Rosemary wonderfully says, listen, uh, you know, I, I, I understand that probably a lot of people who call themselves Christians have been condemning toward you. That's, that sucks. I don't agree with that. Isn't that beautiful? So seriously, to take their thing. What, what, good, what possible good is going to come from saying, I'm a Christian? Not with that. I had no idea. But it was amazing what actually transpired after that because she lost control, owned the name of Jesus, and said, you're in charge. Paul says that, our, that because of his welcome, we are to worship him and we were to offer our bodies, our public selves in our workplace. This doesn't mean that you just, you know, go around, you know, it doesn't mean that you have an office where you've got music playing Christian radio or something like that. If you do, that's fine. But I'm just saying it's not about that. It's about living a Christ-like life and not being afraid to name the name of Jesus. Yes, I am the follower of the one who is love. I'm a follower of Jesus. Wherever the caricatures, whatever the cost, Paul says it is a public worship. So his welcome means our worship, a worship that is first and foremost overt. Secondly, it is ongoing. He says, off your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. Living here doesn't mean just alive versus dead. It means ongoing. The sense of every single day I'm offering myself. I have to get up in the morning and I have to say, not my will, but your will be done. Each day I'm offering, I'm surrendering myself to the Lord. You've been so welcoming of me. You still welcome me. You will always welcome me. I am here once again to offer myself to you. Not just in private, but in public. Not just covertly, but overtly. And not just overtly, but in an ongoing way. Not only is it, is it overt, not only is it ongoing, but it is exclusive. It is all-encompassing. He says, what does he say here? As your, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, what? Holy. Holy means completely. It means exclusively. We were set apart. We were, we were taking our bodies, our lives, and setting them apart from exclusively, completely to him. You're in charge. Whatever you say about my money, whatever you say about my time, whatever you say about my relationships, whatever you say about my, how I use my words, you're in charge. Exclusive. There are no competitors. There's no one else out there. You, I offer myself exclusively to you, wholly. So his welcome means our worship, a worship of the one God that is overt, that is ongoing, that is exclusive, listen to this, gang, that it is enjoyable to him. He enjoys it. What does it say? This is so beautiful. 
Offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and what? Pleasing to God. Get this. In Christ, our half-baked, lukewarm, struggling, weak service to him is pleasing. It's pleasing. The other day, here, the other day I was making, Sarah and I have this thing where, hope this isn't too intimate, like whoever gets out of bed last has to make the bed. Right, is that, can I share that? That's okay, right? So whoever gets out of bed last makes the bed, right? And so, and so, so when I, I was one morning, I got out of bed last, and so I'm making the bed, and Harrison's there. He comes in, he's looking around, and I start making the bed, and, and he just amazing. I love it. He just immediately realizes he needs to start helping. And so he goes over, and he grabs the pillow, and he's struggling with this pillow and trying to put this pillow onto the bed. And he's not, I mean, do I need his help? No. Do I love having him help me? absolutely. I was so pleased. I said, Harrison, that's so great. And he was so excited to help. Right? God is pleased. Listen to me. You can't please your spouse. You can't please your kids. You can't please kids. You can't please your parents. You can please the Lord Jesus Christ. He welcomes you and he wants your worship. A worship that is overt, that's ongoing, that's exclusive, and that he really enjoys. And finally, it's a worship that is intended. How does he describe it? He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, uh, uh, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is what, what you were intended for. This is what you were made for. It's a contrast with Romans chapter 1, where it speaks of how God's how, 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 how humanity basically turning their back on God decided to worship, to offer worship to animals and, and, and created realities. And, and Paul is saying this is called, you know, through, through this welcome comes a worship that is back toward the real God, the true God. This is an intended, this is what you were made to do. So again, this welcome, God's welcome, his astonishing welcome, his prior welcome into his family means our worship. Worship that is overt, ongoing, exclusive, enjoyable, and intended. Okay, now here's the second part. So says, welcome first means our worship. It means the pursuit of, of worship exclusively in him. But it also means the pursuit of wisdom. Got that? So in response to his welcome comes not only a worship, but a worship that expresses itself in the pursuit of a wisdom. We see this in verse 2. A wisdom that is not of this world but a wisdom that, that learns to want his will. Okay, look at verse 2. Do not, conform any, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Paul is saying there's a way of living your life that where you just become like a sheep. You're a, you're a this-worldly sheep. You just go right along. You take the wide road. You enter through the wide gate, to use the words of Jesus. You just do what everyone else is doing. You, just, you keep up with the Joneses. And Paul is saying, if you are going to offer yourself in worship, in response to his welcome, it means completely rethinking everything. Everything. Every aspect of life. Do not conform, he says, to the pattern of this world. No longer walk according to the wisdom of this world. Literally, it's the pattern of this age. Do not be conformed to this age, to this era. This era that's passing, giving way to, the, to the, the, the era of the Lord, the age to come. And so he says, 
Worship involves pursuing a wisdom that is not of this world, but a wisdom that, 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 want, that learns to want his will. Look at verse 2 again. What does he say? It's so beautiful. Do not, he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul is saying that to offer him real worship means the pursuit of a wisdom that is very counterintuitive to our hearts, to our souls, and very counterintuitive to our society. And he calls us to rebel against the wisdom of this world and to pursue a wisdom through the renewing of our mind, a way of recalibrating or rethinking what really matters, what's really important, a way of seeing God differently, a way of seeing humanity differently, a way of seeing ourselves differently according to the word of the Lord. And it's only then, it's only, listen, this is so important, it's only through that renewal of our minds that what? Verse, the rest of verse 2, then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Do you get that? It's only once our minds have been renovated, renewed, with new values, with new perspectives, with new goals, that we look at God's will and go, you know what? That's not so bad. That's actually kind of smart. It's actually kind of good. It's actually kind of wise. It might actually be better. Listen to this. You know, this is one of the saddest things about, about American evangelicalism. God's law has gotten the worst possible rap. The, 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 most of the evangelicals say they, they don't know. They can't even begin to identify, for example, with Psalm 19. It speaks of God's law as honey. Honey of a honeycomb. It speaks of God's laws more precious than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. It speaks of the beauty, the goodness, the wonder, the wisdom of God's law. That it's not just a a godlier way, but it's actually a better way. And gang, this is, the, this, is, this is Christian life. This is the, the goal of the Christian life. This is the goal of Christian discipleship. This is what we men do on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We come together to have our minds renewed so that we might discover the wisdom, the beauty, the goodness of God's will. And Paul uses three different adjectives to describe that will. Look there in verse 2. It is good, that is to say, it is ennobling. When we pursue God's will, it dignifies us. Because it's not about me. It's about others. When we, when we pursue his will, when we pursue his law, it's an act of love. It's beautiful. It's ennobling. We become better people. So his will is first and foremost ennobling. Second, it's enjoyable. It's that pleasing, that word pleasing, and we're pleasing to God. Now we find his will pleasing. It's enjoyable. When we actually come to see the wisdom of God's ways, it is pleasing. And then it's perfect. That is to say, it's, it's unerring. There's nothing flawed about God's will. Isn't that amazing? Not a single command of his. God's like, you know, we kind of messed up on that one. We should have had him do this instead. It is a perfect will. Listen to this. God's will is like the blueprints for a house. It's like the operating manual for a, uh, for a sports car. If you follow it, it will enable you to be at your prime. It will enable to do what you were made to do. 
but it involves that renewing of the mind, that willingness to question value systems, to question the values of this world, the values of my own family, of my own priorities. It involves a radical rewiring of our minds, of our hearts, of how we think about everything, so that we will come to go, you know what? That's actually really attractive. That's actually really beautiful. It's good. It's pleasing. It's even perfect. You see what I'm saying? Let me give you one example, and we'll, 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 uh, we'll land the plane here. An example would be hospitality. I don't know for many of you, when you think about hospitality, in the scriptures, we're going to see here later in chapter 12, Paul commands hospitality. It is part of God's will. And for Sarah and I, you know, in a sense, you could say, well, as a minister, I'm, I'm commanded, in fact, as elders, we're commanded to practice hospitality especially. That's one of our five skills that we as a session have in, um, in, in, in being faithful. But a hospitality is something at first thing, why would I welcome people in my house? My house is a mess. It's a lot of work. Why, why in the world would I do this? And it's intimidating, it's scary, it's, it's just, it's just what's, what's, what's in it for me? Why, why would I bother doing this? In fact, and, and actually over, over the years, Sarah and I would argue about it. We would struggle with how to do it, how often to do it, when should we do it, how much money should we spend doing it? And it becomes such a, a source of contention for us. Well, let's just forget the whole thing. Why even bother? And yet, and yet over time, we have discovered that there is nothing so disarming so um, able to overcome obstacles, so able to, to really uh, move in people's lives and hearts than simply regularly inviting them into your home. It is so indirect, it is so disarming, it is so subtle. We invite someone in our home from whatever background, whatever story, whatever belief, whatever creed, whatever, whatever it may be, we invite them in our home regularly. And it is amazing how God uses it in their lives. I can't tell you the number of people over the years, it hasn't been through my great preaching, ha ha ha, everyone laugh. It hasn't been through, you know, some ministry strategy, it hasn't been through money, it hasn't been, it's amazing how over the years hospitality has like, in an amazing, like a glacier, has carved away at people's lives and left something so beautiful. Hospitality, gang, is the lost secret weapon of the church of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing thing. And I look at it, and I look at it as a, as a, as a, uh, as a child, I can remember my parents practicing hospitality and how rich I was through it. We had all kinds of people in our home, people from all walks of life. And I would go in and listen, and I'd learn, and I would contribute. And we, as a kid, we loved to have people over. Now my kids are that way. They love it. Is someone coming over for lunch today? What's going on? Who's coming over to dinner tonight? They always want to know who's coming. And my kids are often far more, uh, what's the word, a better influence on the guest lives than I am. I show up, I'm tired. I haven't done a thing. Sarah's made all the food, whatever. However you guys do it in your own home, do it that way. But I show up tired. I'm I'm just listening. And the rest of my family is ministering to the guests. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing when some guy comes over and he's a single guy and he's just kind of rough in the 20s. And and guess what happens? Harrison jumps into his lap. Right? And you all know how Harrison can minister more effectively than anyone else in this church. Right? Hospitality is beautiful. 
And that's exactly where the rest of this chapter, this, this section of Romans is going. It's going to capitalize, it's going to, it's going to climax, crescendo in this following beautiful imperative. Welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. And that's how it begins. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's incredibly scandalous prior welcome, worship Him with your bodies. Worship Him overtly. Worshiping in a way that is ongoing each and every day, renewing your hearts, renewing your, your commitment to Him in a way that is, that is so enjoyable to Him, you can actually please Him. And as you worship him, be about the business of pursuing a wisdom. Not a wisdom from below, but a wisdom from above. A wisdom that is from, that is of the spirit. A wisdom that will enable you to see the beauty of his will. A wisdom that will enable you, gang, to want, actually want his will. A will that ennobles, that enjoys, and that is unerring. So beautiful. Let's pray together.